broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's CW, and this week on the Midtown Business Radio Show, I was joined in the studio by guest co-host and CEO of Now Account, Laura Hodson. She introduced us to Tracy Morgan, who founded Morgan Consultants Incorporated. They're an engineering integrity and process consultancy focusing their expertise in the food and beverage processing and manufacturing sectors. Those organizations are able to operate more efficiently, more safely, and obviously more profitably when they link up with Tracy's team of experts. And we also met Lisa Van Kestren, who founded Mystery researchers. Mystery researchers is a mystery shopping company. They serve their clients by giving them access to thousands of Lisa's consultants around the country who go into the marketplace, giving these companies valuable insight into the customer experience, both within their own organization, as well as in those of their competitors. Obviously, this information gives them the ability to be far more strategic and far more educated in the decisions they're making about how they're going about their business. Coming up, Laura talks about the cool merchant services solution that they offer to B2B companies who need access to the capital that's tied up in aging AR accounts. You know, Now Account is a company that was formed about five years ago because of a challenge that I had faced when I was growing my manufacturing company. And the challenge was that as you grow your business and sell to larger and larger customers, they, they do this strange thing. They don't actually pay you when you deliver the good or service. They take longer and longer to pay. And that constrains your ability to grow and couldn't find a solution that worked for me. I mean, there were a lot of lending products out there. There were a lot of other financial tools, but they didn't quite work for my you know small, fast-growing company. So we started a company called Now, and essentially it's, it's, um, it's a revenue accelerator. It feels like taking a credit card, costs less than taking a credit card. It's not a loan, it's not factoring, but it allows you to invoice your customer, get paid immediately in a way that's invisible to your customer and costs less than taking a credit card. Yeah, and it, it sounds like, based on some things that have been going on around today uh, with some important capital resources that we'll talk about here in a bit, that when there are additional options like what you're providing here, that can come in really handy because things that we think we can always count on, maybe sometimes right. there will be periods of time where those aren't available, so we'll get into that. Well, the one thing you can be sure about when you're an entrepreneur or a small business owner is something will change tomorrow. And, um, you know, things are always changing. That's good and it's bad. And so I think the biggest key for small business owners is options, is having flexibility and having options because our large corporate counterparts have those options. And up until now, um, every pun intended, up until now, um, (laughs) those options weren't available to small business and now they are. And here's Tracy talking about how they serve their clients in the food and beverage industry. Manufacturing facilities always have fires to fight and there's usually not enough. Hopefully not literally. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes literally, but usually not. And there's usually not enough people. Plant engineering departments are usually pretty minimal, if existent at all. And they tend to be very tunnel focused. They are not good at recognizing their own problems and issues. One of the opportunities for us is to be able to come in with a fresh set of eyes and help them work through issues. And whether it be a sanitation issue, whether it be line efficiencies and just trying to be a little bit leaner about how they operate and drive profits up. Sometimes it's actually 
actually putting in a whole new manufacturing line or addressing a, a manufacturing line that maybe is not ergonomically set up very well and switching, th- you know, moving equipment around, making sure utilities are in place to service those lines, making sure that both the processing and packaging operations are set up for the best operations possible. Here's Lisa describing the service they provide at Mystery Researchers. So what we do is we have a, a network of, let's say, spies out there all over the United States and Canada, and we send them into retail establishments, restaurants, big box retailers, car dealerships to check on, yes, customer service, but also some more strategic uh, aspects of the service delivery and experience that the customers are having. So voice of the customer is, is quite popular these days. What are customers wanting? What are brands delivering? So we help with that type of information. So we send our network of about, we have maybe 650,000 independent contractors across wow, the man. United States. It's an huge. army. It's huge. It is an army. <laughs> wow. An army of data. And we send them out. We dispatch them to various assignments and they collect information for us. So it's a little bit hard to even define mystery shopping because there's so much information you can collect. It can be pricing, can be service, could be, hey, was the promotional poster on the wall where it was supposed to be? What's the service like at this kiosk? What are my competitors pricing out there for the same washing machine? All sorts of data. We have a challenge with trying to describe it. We've been trying right. to come up with an elevator speech, actually, and it's yeah. a bit of a challenge because it's so broad. You um, were social media before it was social media. Right. Yeah, exactly. really. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's almost like Yelp, only yeah. for right. real experiences as opposed to opinions. Just a different data set. Stick around. we got the full interview with Laura Hodson, Tracy Morgan, and Lisa Van Kestren coming up next. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on the Midtown Business Radio Show. Got a full studio today. Joined in studio by guest co-host, Laura Hodson. She's been with us here a couple of times. We've been doing a little bit of a series with her and the folks from Now Account. They've introduced us to some cool people. We've talked some logistics. We've talked some uh, disadvantaged business yep. enterprises and how they can interact with entities like Marta and, and others like that. And then today you brought a couple of uh, female entrepreneurs into the studio today to introduce us to. So before we get around to uh, all the guests, t- tell us about Now Account real quick. Now Account is a company that was formed about five years ago because of a challenge that I had faced when I was growing my manufacturing company. And the challenge was that as you grow your business and sell to larger and larger customers, they they do this strange thing. They don't actually pay you when you deliver the good or service. They take longer and longer to pay. And that constrains your ability to grow and couldn't find a solution that worked for me. I mean, there were a lot of lending products out there. There were a lot of other financial tools, but they didn't quite work for my you know small, fast-growing company. So we started a company called Now, and essentially it's it's um, it's a revenue accelerator. It feels like taking a credit card, costs less than taking a credit card. It's not a loan. It's not factoring, but it allows you to invoice your customer, get paid immediately in a way that's invisible to your customer and costs less than taking a credit card. Yeah, and it, it sounds like, based on some things that have been going on around today uh, with some important capital resources that we'll talk about here in a bit, that... When there are additional options like what you're providing here, that can come in really handy because things that we think we can always count on, maybe sometimes there'll be periods of time where those aren't available. So we'll get into that. Well, the one thing you can be sure about when you're an entrepreneur or a small business owner is something will change tomorrow. And, um, you know, things are always changing. That's good and it's bad. 
And so I think the biggest key for small business owners is options, is having flexibility and having options because our large corporate counterparts have those options. And up until now, um, every pun intended, up until now, um, (laughs) those options weren't available to small business and now they are. (laughs) And from what I understand, the the option that you provide doesn't end up on the books as debt. That's right. There's no liability, no debt. It's completely off balance sheet. You exchange your account receivable for cash um, and it's your actual revenue. It's not a loan and it's not factoring. So it's a it's a new way of growing your business with your own revenue instead of someone else's. Now, when I if I'm a, one of those small businesses and I'm going to get involved with the now account option, uh, obviously I have the op- opportunity to choose which accounts that I'm going to mm-hmm. get involved with you. Now, is it on an invoice by invoice kind of basis or is it this account? It's account by account. So okay. you might have a customer that pays you with a credit card. That's great. You should take it and run. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have a client that religiously pays you in five, 10 days when you send them an invoice. That's fantastic. You should invoice them. Um, but for most of us, there's always those clients that want net 30, net 60, net 90, And that's not easy to fund. I mean, you can go get a line of credit if you're lucky enough to get one, um, but you're still funding that with debt. And I just, I just never could get comfortable with the fact that I have to go borrow money to turn around and essentially lend my money to my customer for free. It's kind of the opposite of the way it's supposed to work. For for sometimes several months. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So yeah, interestingly, the uh, the property owner doesn't doesn't lend you the the space. For your uh, for your space there, no. you, you got to no. pay that one monthly. So. That's right. And I used to think to some for some of my clients that were large Fortune 500 businesses, you should be lending to me. <laughs> Why do you get my money for free? My cost of capital is way higher than yours is. Well, it's been really uh, a pleasure to actually help the business community start to learn about the opportunity mm-hmm. to get capital in this way. It's already been earned. It's theirs. It's not a loan. Um, so uh, if you if you need more information, we've got a link on our shows page. Right. Actually, you can actually click through, get some questions answered and find yep. out if it makes sense for your business. But you, you brought a couple of people into the studio with I us. I found these ladies walking know. around the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there are people that you meet that you just immediately say, everyone should hear your story um, because they're doing such cool things and in areas that I think not everybody knows even exist, right? I mean, we all know certain businesses tend to get a lot of exposure because they're sexy and they're high tech. And um, and yet, when you meet people who are doing things in industries you almost didn't even know existed, I just think that's so amazing. So I thought yeah. we would have them share some of their stories today. Um, so with me, I have two amazing women. I have Lisa Van Kesteren with Mystery Researchers, and I have Tracy Morgan with Morgan Consultants. And when I look at these two women, I think that they have so much in common, and yet they're in such different industries. Um, both of you were in your industry for years before you started your own business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times you hear about people who think, oh, I should just graduate from college and start my own company. Um, and I think it's amazing when you meet people that were in an industry really getting that expertise. And then what is it that sort of caused you to, to jump out on your own? Um, both of them are in service-related businesses, which our economy is obviously going more and more heavily on the service side, and service businesses have their own unique challenges. And then both of you are in industries that are very long-term industries, very male-dominated industries as well. So, um, you know, I think from that, we have a, a lot of fun things we can talk about. Um, why don't we start by each of you just telling a little bit about your business and how you got there? 
Okay, great. <clears throat> like me to start? Sure. Okay. Uh, Tracy Morgan here with Morgan Consultants. And uh, <clears throat> I kind of had engineering in my blood, consulting engineering. My father was an engineer, and I just felt the urge early on by <laughs> taking things apart in the yard and him yelling at me for not putting his tools away and all kinds of stuff. So <clears throat> I'm a degreed chemical engineer, and I've always been on the consulting side. Um, was about, I guess, eight or nine years in on that side of it with working for mainly large companies um, and just being lost in a sea of engineers and layers and layers and management and just really felt that the typical way that uh, large engineering firms service their clients were not in the best interest of the end customer. So a lot of politics and and uh, just not a very hands-on approach or a very comprehensive approach. So, so after being, you know, in those companies and just not really having my own ideas and not really fitting in, I um, had the uh, opportunity to launch my own company, mainly because I, I had a base client to start with, uh, which was Nabisco. So, so I had a passion for addressing not only the engineering side of a consultancy, but also product development, um, operations, food safety and sanitation, maintenance, R&D, really bringing literally all those facets of the food manufacturing process under one roof. So as the as the engineer, I mean, what 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 problem? I mean, because obviously that's a, I was surprised when you just started describing the breadth of focus. So what problems are you trying to solve around those areas? Sure. Um, a lot of, um, as far as just the engineering piece of it, you know, manufacturing facilities always have fires to fight. And, and there's usually not Hopefully enough. Hopefully not literally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes literally, yeah. but mm-hmm. usually not. But, um, and there's usually not enough people, you know, that are engineer, plan engineering departments are usually pretty minimal if existent at all. Um, and they're, they tend to be very tunnel focused on, they, they are not good at recognizing their own problems and issues. So, so, you know, one, one of the opportunities for us is to be able to come in with a fresh set of eyes and help them work through issues and whether it be a sanitation issue, whether it be line efficiencies and just trying to be a little bit leaner about how they operate and drive profits up. Uh, sometimes it's actually, you know, putting in a whole new manufacturing line or addressing a, a manufacturing line that maybe is not ergonomically set up very well and switching, th- you know, moving equipment around, making sure um, utilities are in place to service those lines, making sure that both the processing and packaging operations are, are set up for um, the best operations possible. That's a huge level of trust that they've got to place in your recommendations because each of those could potentially come with a huge amount of of cost to adjust them, I would think. So so then they must have a high degree of faith that there's going to be a pretty good ROI on the other end of that. Uh, yes, yes. Whether it's, it's safety or decreased cost, operating efficiency goes up, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, and a lot of times, and what one of the, the one of the passions of mine is is mine and our ability to be a little bit more versatile in our approach and um, to serving the client. So because we know that you know that smaller companies are going to have smaller budgets, bigger companies have bigger budgets, and we'll really be able to fine tune the solutions to to work within those companies, you know, structures and fiscal abilities. 
So, and sometimes we, you know, if we walk into a plant that's an absolute train wreck, we'll, <laughs> which happens, well, I've seen it, um, you know, we'll, we'll take things just kind of one step at a time, do a phase one here, let's get the low hanging fruit, even, you know, things that you guys can implement on your own, we're just going to point them out and point you in the right direction. And then you can um, fix some things on your own, or maybe, you know, we need to come back in and, and help you a little bit and just you know, have, have solutions that are just practical and that we're not out to try to, you know, drive up our engineering costs. We're really there truly to help them. And for that relationship, are they coming to you typically with a set of problems in hand or are they saying, we don't know what our problem yeah, is. Yeah. We, I mean, seriously, <laughs> I would think that there's sometimes that they don't know maybe what's, what's their issues are. Right. Right. And that, sometimes it often will be approached initially because they think they know what their issue is or they'll have one specific area that they want to look at. Um, and then once we get in the plan, I mean, we can quickly recognize a whole litany of other issues. And then sometimes you have to play those, you know, you have to be careful with the clients and not overwhelm them with too much information, but then, but still communicate the things that are really important for now, them to address. All of the folks here at the table are women, clearly, uh, mm -hmm. and entrepreneurs. And the space that you're working in, from what I understand, was kind of heavily populated by men. Did that affect you as you were getting your, your business started? Huh. <laughs> Funny you should ask that. <laughs> not, not once so much I got the business started. Um, the, my first job out of college um, with a major engineering company was, you know, I've, I've got my degree in 85. And when I uh, took my job at Lockwood Green, the, I was the only female in a sea of like 250 boys. So that was interesting <laughs> starting there. And so I, you know, but I've never really viewed myself as, you know, gender specific in either side. You know, I've just I play with the guys. I, you know, I don't even think about that. Um, I think it's interesting too, though, that you saw an opportunity. You know, a lot of people would say you. You mentioned I didn't fit in necessarily, and that could have been not just because you're a female, but you're creative. You had a different mm -hmm. view of customer service, and a lot of people would say, "Well, I just shouldn't be in this industry. I should go look for a different job." As opposed mm -hmm. to what about you? Do you think caused you to say I could make a difference and I could mm -hmm. take an industry that I don't necessarily fit in and, and I can help make a difference by starting my own company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was my my tenaciousness, my passion about what I do, my drive and just my being, you know, putting the female spin on things and the female, you know, brain function of not just thinking one half or the other side of the brain, but just being able to be a little bit more creative that's served, right. served the clients well. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the early days with the company, you know, once I started it was, you know, for the most part, I think it served me well to help me get in the door with, with clients because they're, if anything else, they were curious about, Hmm, what's the female engineer going to do? Or what's she going to be like? <laughs> what's she going to look like? How much is she going to know? <laughs> so I have to tell idea. you a funny story. I had someone <laughs> tell me one time, cause my degree is in aerospace engineering. Yeah. I had someone tell me one time, you don't look like an aerospace engineer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't sure what to, to say like to that. Very crazy hair. You have to be all I was like, what out are they supposed to look like? Nerdy <laughs> glasses or what? <laughs> well, no, I don't know. I still, I haven't gotten the persona down, yeah. but it was just <laughs> such a funny comment. You don't look like an aerospace and engineer. You just went, <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh-huh. Yeah. I've had similar people. But again, I mean, using, I always say your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. So the fact that you are different means you stand out. And a lot of people get self-conscious about that. But I think it's the greatest thing ever because mm-hmm. competing in a sea of, you know, a very competitive environment use being different to your advantage, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if people are curious, Absolutely. then you just have to deliver. Absolutely. Yeah. And the only time it's been a, a little bit of a challenge, but I like challenges. I think I'd like to make people laugh. I think it's funny, but it's the, you know, you go into a Southern bakery and you got the good old boys, that, oh, oh, you know, they, they can be pretty tough. And well, that's okay. And, you look good with a hairnet they, on, yeah. right? <laughs> and the, the boots you have to put on in the manufacturing plant. Now, in your yeah. world of, of engineering consulting, how how much of it, in terms of finding your clients, is it reaching out to them to say, "This is what we do. We could potentially come in and help you." How does that how does that come yeah, around? Find... I mean, obviously, some people might go to the yellow pages and call you, but I mean, right. I would imagine that at some form or fashion, you've got to right. be meeting people. How does that how does right. that flow? Right. Um, I mean. It, Again, in the early days, I had it pretty easy because I had Nabisco, and that was immediately a, a you know it was a big client and a lot of name recognition, and so that really set me on the path to build from from there. But it was a lot of real old fashioned cold calling mm-hmm. uh, early on, um, and then as I established my client base, it's still you know what I learned is that you you have to stay on top of those sales and marketing calls you have to keep touching those clients Mm -hmm. you know and you get obviously some repeat business and then you get new business but you have to keep out there and touching it so you know going to some of the food industry conferences i've done that um you know emails phone calls just really which is interesting because just like i don't look like an aerospace engineer a lot of people would say that engineers may not tend to be great salespeople. Mm -hmm. so you know one of the challenges when you start your own business you get to wear every hat Mm -hmm. (laughs) even if it's not your forte yeah 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 so who are you interfacing with when you reach out to manufacturing company x and and introduce yourself Mm -hmm. um i as as time's gone on I reach, I go top and then work my way down at this point. So, so I'll go to director. Able to reach out to them and say, hey, th- we've done this and that in terms of kind of a, a case a snapshot of this is mm-hmm. how we've helped similar organizations. Mm-hmm. We'd be pleased to do that for you, that kind of thing. Or Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and sometimes the work is project-based and sometimes it's literally us, you know, embedding ourselves within whether whether it's a corporate environment or plan environment embedding ourselves into the client's um, own team to help execute projects kind of on a longer term kind of relationship mm -hmm. yeah yeah so it can be both ways and introduce us to to lisa so meet lisa (laughs) hello hello lisa i enjoyed hearing tracy talk actually i sort of forgot where the question started right well Uh, well tell us about yourself that's a very basic question um but lisa i'll just remind you is with mystery researchers and so um she can't reveal her real identity my name is sue smith for anybody there who's listening and can't tell you any more than that i have to kill you before (laughs) you leave Uh, Yes, mystery shopping. So I'm Lisa Van Kestren, CEO of Mystery Researchers, which is a mystery shopping company. Um, Speaking of industries that few people have actually heard of. By design. By design, (laughs) sure. 
So what we do is we have a, a network of, let's say, spies out there all over the United States and Canada, and we send them into retail establishments, restaurants, big box retailers, car dealerships to check on, yes, customer service, but also some more strategic uh, aspects of the service delivery and experience that the customers are having. So voice of the customer is is quite popular these days. What are customers wanting? What are brands delivering? So we help with that type of information. So we send our network of about, we have maybe 650,000 um, independent contractors across wow. the Man. United States. It's an huge. army. It's <laughs> huge. It is an army. Wow. An army of data. Uh, and we send them out. We dispatch them to various assignments and they collect information for us. So it's a little bit hard to even define mystery shopping because there's so much information you can collect. It can be pricing, can be service, could be, hey, was the promotional poster on the wall where it was supposed to be? Um, what's the service like at this kiosk? Um, what are my competitors pricing out there for the same washing machine? All sorts of data. Um, we have a challenge with trying to describe it. We've been trying right. to come up with an elevator speech, actually, and yeah. it's a bit of a challenge because it's so broad. You um, were social media before it was social media. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. really. You know? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. It's <laughs> almost like Yelp only yeah. for right. real experiences as opposed to opinions, just a different data set. And do you mm -hmm. find that the shoppers that you send out there give you information that's different than, I mean, in today's world of social media, people think they're sharing so much information, but are they really sharing the right information or are there things that your folks know to look for that yeah, and that actually you just hit on the distinction between mystery shopping and lots of other forms of customer loyalty, information, feedback, surveys, right. social media. Because social media and customer surveys, they're typically asking you, how did you feel about the experience? Did it meet your expectations? We're not asking our shoppers for opinions. We're asking them what happened hmm. so that you have a data set to bump it up against. So we ask the customers, were you happy with how long you waited in line at your bank? when you went to conduct this transaction. And they're gonna tell you whether they were happy or not. No, I felt like I waited too long. But what they haven't told you is how, how long, long they waited. They waited. And so oh, you I need see. that yeah, frame yeah. of reference. Right. So we'll send mm -hmm. A little more black and white in. kind of objective, objective. hard data exactly. around the experience and we can opine on it later. Exactly, but just it needs to frame the other information. So often it gets confused with customer satisfaction or customer mm -hmm. loyalty data and voice of the customer. It's actually a very different data set. Uh, and in this situation, we don't need 50,000 responses. We only need a sample size, let's say maybe 100. Wow. So we send people out, we say, make this transaction at your bank or eat this meal at the restaurant and tell us about your experience. And now we've all of a sudden got a frame of reference. And so they'll have specific Directions, directions on what, what yes. you need them to experience mm -hmm. or hmm. and sometimes for. we are asked to provide certain demographics and sometimes those demographics are actually what they're looking for um, maybe p potentially different treatment this comes from the mm. you know investigative right. industry from long ago um, age gender uh, we can we can send in people with hmm. specific profiles uh, we recently, speaking of small businesses, over the past couple of years, we've seen a demand for small businesses to do mystery shopping. It's more of a B2B mm -hmm. experience. So hmm. as a consumer, I can go into a bank and conduct a B2C mystery right. shop. 
but B2B is more difficult because you need businesses that can go conduct those shops. So over the past couple of years, we've actually developed our own proprietary panel of businesses or people that own businesses that are willing to go do those shops. So so they do the shop as a business owner as exactly. opposed to as a consumer. And it's a very different set of feedback. I mean, if you're going to hmm. open a checking account, the business checking accounts are very different than the right. consumer checking accounts. But you need to be able to represent mm-hmm. that well when you're asking the questions and believably. Right. So we have those kind of demographics as well. And it might be, hey, do you wear glasses so you can do an eyeglasses shop for us? Or, hey, do you drive a Mercedes so you can do a Lexus shop, for right. instance? Hmm. And you mentioned, you know, uh, We've heard of mystery shopping in terms of compliance type Mm -hmm. things, right? Did my employees do what they were supposed to do? But you mentioned that most of your clients are using this for more strategic reasons. What are some of the strategic opportunities or problems that they're trying to solve? So it's it's interesting because mystery shopping, again, it's so broad. I'll throw out a couple of examples. But for instance, um, they might be trying to figure out what price to set a new appliance at when it's being launched into the marketplace. And in order to decide their price point, they need to know the price point of the comparable products. So we will go in and we'll deliver price point, SKU number, et cetera, on the competitive set and give them that data. And it helps them figure out where to launch. Um, It might be for a brand of car dealership that is interested in how their competitors are handling discounts. Is the discount look like cash off? Or does the discount look like lower financing? How much do you have to negotiate? How hard do you need to push? And those are things they won't publish. You have to go in and see how they... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And some of them get quite sophisticated. um, And we're gathering that information, sending it back to them so that they can determine Mm. their positioning in the marketplace. Um, And you can't determine your positioning in the marketplace without knowing where your competitors sit. So it's not enough anymore to know what you are doing. You need to know what everybody else is doing. We've been joined in studio by Laura Hodson from Now Account. We've been talking to Lisa Van Kestern, the founder of Mystery Researchers, and Tracy Morgan of Morgan Consulting. And and you, from what I understand, you've been in the secret shopping sector for a long, long time. You were one of the Careful. one of the early. <laughs> well, you know, compared to others, and you were you were you you were kind of one of the people that helped shape. How it goes. I mean, even helping found the, an association that uh, operates in the space to, mm-hmm. to help those types of professionals. Can you talk about the? How did you how did you land in that in that arena and and um, and then kind of just talk about a little bit how it's evolved from then to now. So it's interesting because I hear stories about how people started out in their on their career path, and I don't have a story like that. My story mm-hmm. is I took opportunities that came along, and I worked really hard, and then I took the next one. Um, so I would say that I ended up in the mystery shopping industry completely by accident. I started mm-hmm. out my career as a private investigator. And back in the nineties, <laughs> that's back, scary. Back, I know, I know. Now you're intimidated, aren't you? I gotta, yes. I gotta go. I got yes. this thing. You didn't see the camera in my pocket. <laughs> um, so I started out as a private investigator, and back in the nineties, it was about compliance. It was more about theft. If you're going to have somebody open the register and then ask for another product, an impulse purchase, are they going to ring it up? It's about um, theft. It's about the sale of drugs, maybe in the places where drugs aren't supposed to be sold, that consumers can see. So it was a very different kind of uh, 
industry at that time than it is now. Um, and again, that was the mid-90s. So mystery shopping had been around for maybe 10 or 15 years before that, but mostly it was about compliance. So as more and more companies got into the space, um, there was a, a push to get all of the mystery shopping providers together and, and form an association so that it could become reputable. One of the things that afflicts the mystery shopping industry are the scams. There's a lot of uh, people that try to scam the industry because we deal with so many independent contractors that are individual businesses across the United States that um, it's easy to say, send me $19.99 and I'll send you a book. Uh, you know, I'll get you every job you wanted. Right. What you don't know is what you're going to get is a link to a website that has a list of companies that you could have gotten for free. So we were trying to make mm. the reputation of the industry better and improve that with the association. So a bunch of us got together in the 90s and said, hey, how do we do that? We hired an association company and I was the head of the professionalism and ethics committee, um, put together the first code of ethics, and we had a president and a vice president and a secretary, and um, then the heads of various committees, political, mm. legislative, um, lobbied Congress and some states to change mystery shopping laws so that it did not require a uh, private investigator's license. So mm. we're, we're probably more active politically then than now. It's a little bit less necessary, but we still do our fair share. Now, what's the landscape of the industry? Is there a lot of companies out there that offer this as a service to the business community? There are a lot of companies, yes. A lot of them are fairly small companies. I would describe it as a cottage industry. And then there may be 10 to 15 large players. Uh, but the rest of them are, are small, fairly small um, in the space. Now I know that you recently grew, I believe, through some acquisition. Where does it, where does that place your company in that in that vertical from? Yeah, the um, to we're, big player. Big player. I think we're a big player now. It's very <laughs> exciting. Um, we yeah, I think we're one of the top, maybe three largest privately held companies uh, in the in the world. Actually, um, so it's, it's exciting. Now, when a company wants to enlist the the help of this type of professional organization, I mean, what is that? What are they typically investing in terms of how, how much how much of a spend is it to get that kind of data? So it depends, uh, of course, on what their goal is and the longevity of the program and the size of the organization. If it's a company like a fast food company that has fifteen thousand locations, it could be several million dollars. Wow! Um, if it's a company that has a hundred locations, it could be more like fifty thousand. So, also, are we going to do shop them every month? Are we going to just go out there and get the answer to a specific question? For instance, this a cell phone company launches a new handheld, new mobile device. They want to know for all the money they just spent investing in the training of the salespeople, the launch, the promotion of that particular device. Are the posters up on the wall? Are the salespeople able to answer the questions? Is the device in the store? So that might be a one-time mystery shop where we go out on the during the first week and we say, how well did we do logistically? Were we able to answer the questions? Were all the brochures there? Um, and then it's sort of a one and done. Here's the data. Let's analyze it. Let's figure out what could be done better so we can apply that to the next launch. But that's, that's more of an ad hoc. Mm -hmm. So is the... Is the win for that spend? Is it? Is it typically? Are they ultimately going to end up with greater sales? What's? I mean, because obviously, we're, when we start talking seven figures to invest for, for this kind of information, where does it? Where does it flow back to them? Where does it pay off? 
it's sales. It would be sales and therefore, of course, profit um, drops to the bottom line because more volume equals obviously more, more profit for the most part, but it's higher revenue. So they're interested in how their brand is being represented. If you're a, again, a fast food restaurant or a retailer that has certain things in place that says, my employees are supposed to wear a brown uniform, they're supposed to say this, they're supposed to say, hey, welcome to Moe's, you know, when you go through the door, mm -hmm. it's all part of a brand. So that brand, they believe drives revenue. Uh, because it drives the perception. It brings people back to that restaurant or that retailer or that car dealership. Um, so it would, it's definitely in spend that they see it. It's customer service, branding, um, for the most part. And then there's the ad hoc, i.e. promotions. Did we launch that promotion well? Could we have done better? Because if we can sell 4% more handsets, and we spent a million dollars to find that out, but we're going to get 7 million more for the new handsets that we sell next time we have a launch then it's there's the ROI. Do you do you also have clients that <clears throat> the example you gave you're kind of shopping yourself to see how you did but I'm just thinking about in our business um, we don't own our sales force right mm -hmm. because we partner with other organizations that then promote our product and I would think there may be an opportunity for companies to think about their channel strategies differently if they knew that a particular channel was more effective or did a better job of executing than maybe another channel would. So is that also, can you use this type of service to also look at other channels? Absolutely. In terms of mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that setup, Laura. Ab As a matter of fact, <laughs> yes, we can. Mm. Um, one of the most popular uses of mystery shopping is to find out how brands are being represented at the point of sale. Uh, the number one predictor of what a consumer is going to buy these days is the recommendation of the salesperson at that point of sale. So if I want to buy a washing machine, if I want to buy a cell phone, I'm going to go into a big box retailer and there's going to be 15 different brands and products and SKUs represented there. How do I know which one to pick? I'm going to start talking to the salesperson mm -hmm. and the salesperson's ultimately going to make some sort of recommendation. Every manufacturer in the world wants to know who's being recommended first right. and why, mm -hmm. and who's second and who's third and why, because they want to know again where they sit as vis-a-vis -vis their competitors. Uh, but yeah, because there are more big box retailers these days than there used to be, um, you know, mm -hmm. everything's sort of rolling up into the big the big companies, then um, this, this share, not share of wallet, but share of mind of the mm -hmm. salesperson it's in great demand and everybody's trying to catch it. And in addition to what are they recommending, we're trying to figure out, all of them are trying to figure out why are they recommending that? Is it because they got a free cell phone and so now they're going to recommend that cell phone if that's what it is? Because if that's the case, we'll give away cell phones all over the place, right. for instance. So they're trying to backtrack to what is it that's driving that recommendation. And mystery shops are a great way to do that because it's, it's information only a consumer is going to be able to get. Now, how do the, the clients that you're working with, how do they, when it comes to actually doing something about it, you know, they get the they get the information. I mean, one, I would assume that they don't necessarily broadcast, or maybe some do. I don't know. I guess it depends on their culture that, that people are secret shopping us. Mm -hmm. um, I, I suppose it's probably inherently understood by mm -hmm. most in those types of, particularly in retail. But um, how, do, how, how do they effectively act on what they learn. You know what I'm saying? Where they, they, they get that information that you're talking about. 
um, so that they can maintain. It would seem that if you come in and make it a punitive thing, we found this out through secret shopping. Then all of a sudden, your workforce is like, "Well, geez, they don't, you know, they don't trust us." Mm-hmm. How how do they effectively be able to implement that? I guess they can just make a change, perhaps. But I mean, how do they tie it into the information that they got back and? Yeah, so we always recommend that you do not use this as a big brother type of tool, right. not punitive I'm sure in any way. sure many are tempted to do that. It is attempted, and it is done, unfortunately. Um, but it is it does create a he said, she said type of situation, and it also creates a non-acceptance of the program and what the program's real goals are. So our real goal is to improve service. Our real goal is to serve our customer. Um, and so that can get lost when they try to make it a punitive tool. Uh, so we always try to make it positive. We recommend uh, incentive programs based on good scores. Uh, we recommend, hey, give the employee that scored a 100 on their mystery shop a free parking space for the month right up front. Um, put something on the wall. We have some programs where we actually issue certificates and we give the certificates to the employees and say, hey, congratulations, you won, you did a great job. Um, that's the type of thing we would much prefer to do. And the uptake of that is much greater than it used to be. 15 years ago or so, it was it was tended to be more punitive than it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, also, now there are lots of programs out there where the employees don't even necessarily know they're being shopped because it's not about what that employee does. It's about the aggregate data that we're going to collect in the 500 locations that we did across the United States to find out if their training program was effective. So it doesn't matter to us what Jane said or what Jane didn't say. What matters to us is that only 49% of the people that we shopped said hello, and that's your number one requirement. Um, So we try to focus it that way. We try to leave names out of it. We try to focus on really what we're trying to accomplish with the program. Now, earlier we talked about the fact that when you're sending your shoppers out, that more often than not they're, they're focused on objective measurables that you're you know did they say hello that kind of thing yes no um, but do the is there an opportunity for them to include subjective this individual you know really displayed a high level of customer service so that you can capture some of that along the way as well since they're uh, you know I know a lot of companies out there particularly in the restaurant arena will actively tell you hey we really want your feedback and encourage you to go online and give your opinion as a customer but not everybody will do that. I mean, since since we're engaging this individual to be there, paying attention to what their experience is, do they also try to, is that included at all? Or, or is, do we just try to leave out our opinion of the experience and say, yes, they said, hi, welcome to Moe's? So um, two different answers to that. There's quantitative data, the aggregate, the objective, but most clients do want that kind of qualitative feedback. Tell mm-hmm. me the story. Tell me how you felt while you were in my restaurant. Um, so we will always agree to do that, uh, but I always also qualify it to clients by saying, the shopper that I sent in, I paid them to go, I paid for their meal, and I told them what to look for. So this is not consumer data. Take it for what it is. It is still mm-hmm. valuable because you'll still get the overall feel of the experience, but don't mistake this for your customer loyalty data or your survey feedback data because it's not the same thing. We've skewed their perception simply by telling them what to do, what to look for, and the fact that we paid them to go. I had a client that um, Hmm. we we had a back and forth for probably two years on this, and he said, it was a restaurant, and he said, we want to know if they felt like it was a good value. 
after they ate. And I said, we paid for Other their people's meal. money. Yeah. <laughs> it great always feels great. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we'll ask the question, but let me just say, hmm. use that very carefully. Of course, it was a great value. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I have a question, uh, Felisa. Do you, how, how do you manage all of the data that you're collecting? And say, if you're doing, a, for example, a business-to-business engagement, say a, me, a consulting engineering firm, what would that look like sorry you 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 have certain data sets you're going for that i assume a model that you've already built and then you does that then go into like an access database or and then how does it get dumped back onto the end uh onto the business so what we start out by doing is we start out by asking in any engagement what is it that you want to find out and what are you going to do with that data so that we can help design the questions and the scenarios the right Mm -hmm. way and then we'll design the questions we'll say if this is what you're after here's the scenario we recommend using Mm -hmm. and then we'll answer these 15 questions Mm -hmm. so then we'll give that to our shoppers we'll disseminate the information we'll give them the guidelines so that they know what they're doing and then they'll have the engagement, make the phone call, make the visit, and then they'll fill out all of the answers. All of that does go into a database uh, Mm -hmm. on the back end. All the shoppers around the United Mm -hmm. States, whoever does it from where, will fill out the answers to that survey online. Mm -hmm. We get that data. We QA every single one of them. If we have Mm -hmm. follow-up questions, we'll go back. We'll make sure it's complete. Mm -hmm. Punctuation, grammar, you know mm-hmm. what texting has done to people these days. Mm-hmm. The yeah. grammar's <laughs> punctuation is non-existent. We've had to double our editing mm. staff. Wow. You don't like to report back OMG? No. No. <laughs> IKR. <Yeah. laughs> um, so we'll we'll put that all together and we deliver summary reports. We'll deliver uh-huh. individual reports for each phone call or visit. Uh-huh. And we can also analyze the data. Um, if the client wants. Some clients have their own departments that analyze the data mm-hmm. and some want us to do it for them. We can do either one. Mm-hmm. But we'll tell them, here's what we saw. Here's what it means. Mm-hmm. Here's some opportunities to do things differently. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. How has technology impacted? I'm, I'm curious, yeah. both of you. I would imagine there's some opportunities to use cloud computing even now with, with the broad s- spectrum of data points you're capturing. And, and many times it's a huge based on what you're saying, a very large sample size. So are you using any kind of cloud computing with the data points that you're collecting, or is it not nece- not so necessary with what you're doing? It's all online, so it's all stored in the cloud, and we're collecting it either on mobile devices hmm. or iPads or computers. Um, it's funny because when I started Mystery Shopping, it was all paper and right. pen, yeah. and it was carbon copies and mailing. Yeah. Right. And yeah. you did your 17 <laughs> reports, and you wrote them out, and you mailed them back to the company. Then we got to faxes, and boy, was that a leap. Wow. Yeah. Like, Whoa, I'm not sure we can do that. And then we got into using the internet to disseminate the information, yeah. and then we got into using it to start collecting the information. So a lot of big leaps in there in a fairly short amount of time. The newest, latest, and greatest is the mobile using right. mobile devices to fill out their surveys while they're on site. Inconspicuous because everybody's buried in their <coughs> And probably device. more exactly. accurate because yeah. you can yeah. fill yeah. in the questions while you're experiencing it. Because now it's mm-hmm. acceptable to be having a conversation with someone looking at your screen anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before you probably had to <laughs> yeah. have the experience and then go somewhere and write yeah. it. Yeah. And your memory may not have been exactly. as accurate as you thought. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, along the lines of technology, what's intriguing to me, I'm obsessed with growth, by the way, um, because I always think it's funny that 
people assume every business wants to grow. And I don't think that's true. I mean, a lot of people start businesses because they want to start a job and they want to have a great lifestyle business and other people really want to grow mm -hmm. a business to be bigger than them. And you've grow both grown very differently, right? Because Lisa, you've grown through acquisition and Tracy, you've grown more organically, but both mm -hmm. of you have a combination of employees and then leveraging contractors, which are people mm -hmm. you don't own, but you leverage. How did you think about why you grew the way you grew and how do you manage that balance with contractors versus employees, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I can start and it's Tracy again. And um, with me, it was more of just a cash flow or ca cash protection issue that I didn't want the huge overhead of all of my, you know, people being W-2s. I just didn't want that responsibility. So my model, and I, and I continue that today, my model is that I have, I hold about 25% of the engineers and consult, all other consultants are W-2 and then 75 are contractors. And there, but, you know, a differentiation is my contractors I've had, you know, long, long-term relationships with. They're not just, you know, pulling somebody out of a job shop or something like that. So, so I'm, I'm very, very picky about who I align with. Um, I also have business to business alignments that, that help bring other services so that again, I have a col complete solution to the end customer. And you know, when you started your business, you said you had a client, you had Nabisco in hand. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people are probably sitting in companies thinking, gosh, I wish I could start my own business. Do I just take that leap, you know, and eat macaroni and cheese for a year mm -hmm. and hope I get a client? Or in your case, you kind of, it was opportunistic because you had an opportunity to pursue. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you think about that opportunistic growth? And obviously you have to be flexible. You have to be ready to mm -hmm. leap when it's there. But how do you manage that flexibility? Right, right. And again, my, my situation is I was, I just absolutely did not fit in with the corporate big engineering company environment. So I was really, you know, frankly, kind of pushed out of that. But you know, Nabisco is like, it's one way to be opportunistic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when, you, when you get fired from corporate America, it's just I'm going to help you out of this airplane. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, you know, I had already developed a relationship with Nabisco. So that when that happened, I mean, they were right there. But then I did, you know, in the first year, I thought, you know, I was in bliss mode. I was like, oh, this is so cool. I got my own business. I can name my own schedule. I got a great client. Um, but then the purse string started to tighten up. And then... Nabisco was my only client and then I didn't have a client. So, so then I went for three months of just, you know, literally no, no income and just picking up the phone cold calling. And so I have just built the business from there. Cause I was at that point, I was just too stubborn to go backwards. <laughs> I was not going <laughs> to, I was already in deep and I was going to go for it. So, so I did in fact experience that kind of leap of faith, but yeah. just was a delayed <laughs> reaction and which was probably good for me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's good to know, you know, there's probably people sitting in companies now, again, thinking, I could go out on my own. There's always that silver lining, right? You may be in an organization where you don't fit in today, but take advantage of the fact that you're in an environment where you can be meeting future clients and building those relationships yeah. and all of those things that you're building um, can help you in the future when you do decide to make that leap. Yeah, absolutely. And especially de depending on how you're funded or not funded. I mean, if you're just starting completely from scratch, I mean, I, w I would be one to not recommend, you know, going off the deep end. And, you know, you you've got to have a plan right before you 
Jill. And Lisa, what about you? So you've grown. Speaking of a plan, (laughs) (laughs) why did everybody look at me? (laughs) We're waiting for the answer. (laughs) But you know, you've really grown lately by acquisition, mm -hmm. which a lot of people may be completely intimidated about that idea of how do you even Mm -hmm. approach a company and say, I'm interested in buying you. And what does that do to your culture to bring on, you know, chunks of growth as opposed to one at a time? Mm -hmm. So I recommend starting with a glass of wine. Yeah. (laughs) Make the phone call and have the chit chat. Uh, Yeah, that it it is a little intimidating at first. Uh, But then so many other people that you're speaking to are also entrepreneurs with their own businesses. It actually just becomes very interesting. Uh, And even if there's not an opportunity to do work together or or to come together, you find lots of things to talk about and and a Mm -hmm. connection. So it rapidly became less intimidating. Uh, But as far as acquisition as opposed to organically, I think it was just a personal preference because I'm not, I don't feel like I'm a salesperson. I don't, I don't enjoy Mm -hmm. the, the the sales piece of it. I love providing solutions. I love coming Mm -hmm. up with a plan and, and getting it all done. Uh, But trying to grow by only sales just intimidated me. So Mm -hmm. I chose to do acquisition instead. Um, Yeah. Just simply different paths. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, both of you are in service roles. Your, your, your business isn't selling widgets. You're selling your service. And, and clearly, we've talked about that uh, when we discussed the now account side of things. How did that play into your businesses? Do you, did you all end up feeling the effects of the slope paying client over time and, and having it uh, <laughs> impact you? You, you, were, you were without a client for a period of time, but uh, that's the ultimate yes. slow paying client. That's right. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The dogs were looking at me like, yeah. mom. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I when I started out, I self-funded because that was easy. I mean, but then, you know, the first three years I, I had very, very rapid growth. But because of that model of having subcontractors, you know, it, it took some of that pain away. Then about five years into the business, I did get a business line of credit. Um, and then that bank eventually was um, taken over by a big bank. And then that, that line went away because mm-hmm. they just changed the structure. So then then I went back to self-funding. And that was pretty painful because you know, I was digging into retirement accounts and investment accounts. Yeah. That was pretty painful. Um, and a service-oriented business doesn't you know, have good collateral to back up for a business yeah. Obviously, That's the tough side your of assets it, yeah. walk out of the door yeah. every day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you yeah. can try and lock them in, but they yeah, probably no. won't like that. <laughs> yeah. So, so that leaves people in a very challenging position. So, mm-hmm. um, so I guess it was probably about two, two and a half years ago, I found out about Now Account and, and Laura and her solutions, which are brilliant. Um, and so we, we manage our cash flow, you know, largely and partially, but largely through Now Account. Um, and then, and then some within our own, and it just depends on, the, again, the client. We select, you know, clients that – I have one client that pays us weekly on the money. So that's great. It's awesome. Get Send more them of those. To bones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. Um, and then I have, you know, the worst one is um, Kellogg's that's out 120 days, which is – and some of these very, very big food companies are starting to do. They're sure. stretching the limits further and further. Well, and the reason they're doing that is not because they sit around all day saying, how can we make life hard for you? It's because they're not getting paid mm-hmm. in, in that period of time, right? So a lot of these yeah. big companies, everyone's doing it to each other, and yeah. it becomes a systemic it's a problem. It's shells kind of uh-huh. thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, yeah. if, if, if they're having a challenge getting paid, their best way to manage their cash and their capital is to pay you later. And somewhere down the line, somebody 
guys out of business because they miss payroll. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. My uh, business partner calls that involuntary vendor financing. That's right. IVF. <laughs> that's right. I had someone the other day ask me what I thought about P2P lending because, you know, that's kind of all the rage right now, all this peer-to-peer lending. And my response was kind of surprising to him because I said, well, it's not new. I mean, there's nothing new about peer-to-peer lending. It's just extended terms. <laughs> it's, it's an invoice. I mean, the oldest form of P2P lending is an invoice because I, a small business, have loaned you, my customer, also a business Mm-hmm. For 30, 60, 90 days. The difference is, as you mentioned, Lisa, I'm indentured. I mean, I'd, I'd prefer not to lend you money for free, but I have no choice because you're going to pay me when you feel like it, and there's not really anything I can do. It's, Come on, Lisa. I mean, <laughs> if only I would cooperate. If only, <laughs> if only. Not the first time somebody said that to me. Now, when Laura described it to me, I can be a little financially challenged as far as the terms and the lingo, but mm-hmm. she described it to me as a business, a credit card for business. Mm. And I mm-hmm. thought, geez, that is, that is brilliant. It's Why kind of the reverse. Because we come mm-hmm. up with that right. before. People use credit cards today to buy things so they don't have to pay till later. Yeah. But for business to business, there's never been a solution for the seller. Mm-hmm. To in, instead of having to wait for someone to offer a credit card to choose to get paid immediately without there having to be a card offered. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And right. those of us that shop a lot are very familiar with the credit card. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's necessary. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. And uh, Laura, do you want to mention a little another idea um, that was passed on to me was how another way to use now account is that I can use my subs. I can encourage my subs to also sign up for now account which then allows me to extend right. them. And, and this was actually, I wish I could take credit for this idea, but I can't. We had a brilliant client who had been using NowAccount for a while. She was actually an architecture, um, owns an architecture firm, and she was using NowAccount to get her revenue immediately. And then she came back and said, well, wait a minute. Why don't I get you know my subs or my vendors to use it? That way they're going to get paid immediately so I don't have to pay them right away because they were pushing her to pay right away so she got them to sign up so now she uses now account she gets paid immediately but when she gets invoiced she doesn't have to pay immediately because she knows her suppliers are getting paid so she can now hold that cash for 60 days or so and that just puts her in a position to go bid on contracts she might not have been able to Mm -hmm. bid on before her balance sheet is stronger because now account has no debt associated with it. So when you use your now account, your balance sheet actually gets stronger and you can go to a bank and get a better line or go to, you know, uh, an asset-based lending group or, or, or go to other financial tools that before they might have looked at you and said, well, I don't know if we can do that. So, you know, it's funny, a lot of our clients come to us from banks and, and lenders that say, wow, can all my borrowers have a now account? Because we'd rather see cash as collateral than, mm. than they are. So now if I'm a small business Lend uh, a borrower. Mm-hmm. Can I participate with the yes. now account? I mean, does the, the 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 lender doesn't have an issue with me? It's it's not an that. either or. We mm-hmm. have a lot of clients that have lines of credit with banks and also have a now account. And what's interesting mm-hmm. is because remember we're not lending, so it's yeah. not additional debt. What we find, um, for example, we have one client. They're probably a forty million dollar revenue company. And what they realized is that if it's an existing account and they know their behavior, they can manage that internally. Most businesses have a behavior. 
It's pretty mm-hmm. regular. You may not like it. If you don't like mm-hmm. it, it's going to be regularly you don't like it. But, you know, mm-hmm. because most businesses have a system and they schedule payments for X days out yeah. and the system tells them when to pay that invoice. And so this particular client said, look, if it's an account we've had for a long time, we know they're going to pay in 30, 35, 40. We're just going to manage that internally. We have a million dollar line of credit with our bank. It's the new accounts that we don't know. And the unknown is what kills all small business owners. I mean, you can know something and not like it and manage to it. It's the unknown you can't manage to. So what they said is all new accounts go on now account and we watch them for six months and see, are they paying in closer to 30 or are they paying in more like 60, 70, 80, 90? Mm -hmm. If they're paying in closer to 30, we'll take them out and just start invoicing them directly because now we know the behavior, we know the cadence. But those that are either sporadic or we can't assess the pattern or we don't like the pattern, we just leave it now account. We don't deal with it anymore. And so not only are they getting the benefit of the capital, but if something's on your now account and the customer doesn't pay, we take that loss. So they're really managing risk more than capital with us. What's the process for me when I get that experience over that first two, three, four, six months, whatever the case may be, I'm watching my new accounts mm-hmm. and I want uh, this, this one is the weekly payer that, uh, sure. that Tracy was describing. Yeah, we want more of those. Um, <laughs> what's the process for pulling them back? So when you go into now account, you tell us, you know, hey, I want this client to be on my now account and we'll approve that for a certain amount. And you can use that as it makes sense for you. If that client grows and you need more, you just put in a request to increase your now account. If you decide to take them out, you just tell us that you're taking it out of now account and you're going to be billing them directly. So at that point, we don't expect to see invoices from them anymore. There's the interesting thing with now account, there's no term contract and you don't have to commit a certain number of accounts. So it's really just a tool Mm -hmm. in your quiver to use when it makes sense for you. That's what I thought was so Mm -hmm. innovative about it is you can really customize and really Mm -hmm. be particular about what you're involving Mm -hmm. with it to, like you say, mitigate your risk. Well, and a lot of that is because when I had my manufacturing company, I had looked at other solutions and I was actually working with a factoring company at the time and it was just so inflexible. And I can remember I had to put everything on it. I had a two-year contract. I had to put everything on it and I would have customers that were standing there ready to give me a credit card and I still had to put it on there and pay the fee thinking, well, why in the world, you know, this guy's going to pay me in five days or mm-hmm. 10 days. Why do I have to put that through? And, you know, again, as a small business owner, I think it's the flexibility and the ability to make your own decisions that make or break your business. Um, most people don't start their business because they love finance. I've yet to meet a person who started their business because <laughs> they love finance, unless you start a CPA firm, in which case I hope you like finance. But mm-hmm. most people start their business because they have a passion for something. It's it's mystery shopping, it's engineering, it's flower arranging. I mean, whatever it is, that's what you love. Right. The finance and accounting is sort of the necessary evil that allows you to stay in business. And so most people are sort of embarrassed or apologetic. Gosh, I should have known that. And you know what? Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have known that. I mean, it's really not logical that someone can just hold your money for 60 days. Mm. And so I always tell people, give yourself permission to not have known that. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, don't be apologetic. (laughs) That's why there just had to be a better solution to allow small businesses to run their business the way they want, as opposed to, I'll never forget the first guy said, well, how do you decide what terms to offer? I mean, what makes you decide to offer net 30 or net 90? And he laughed at me. He's like, 
I don't decide. When I get told. When they send me the money. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> or what I get they told. say they'll pay you in. Yeah. And even what they say they're going to pay you in is not when they pay you. I, mm-hmm. I, it's I, a very I, frustrating I'm process. I'm still one day going to yeah. send an invoice out that says net never just to see if it changes anything. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I don't think it would change anything. With a couple of quick minutes left, I just wanted to ask you, Lisa, real quickly, for somebody who may want to get involved and be one of those shoppers, what do they need to look for so that they're linking up with a reputable business that they're going to do that sort of work with? Yeah, so good question. Um, a reputable company will never charge you to sign up with them to okay. do mystery shopping. And there are a lot of reputable companies out there that aren't with the Mystery Shopping Provider Association, so that's not a make or break. Okay. But all the ones mm. that, that much are more assurance up, if they are. Yes, that okay. signed up with the Mystery Shopping Providers Association. Tell folks where they can get more information about the Mystery Researchers. Sure. www.mysteryresearchers.com. And you're on some LinkedIn, uh, Facebook. Have, yeah, that LinkedIn. Kind of we're on Facebook. Yeah, yep. just do a search on uh, Mystery Researchers. Tied in with you all. How about mm-hmm. you, Tracy? Sure. Uh, website is www.more morganconsultants.com and I'm on LinkedIn as well um, no Facebook Twitter stuff old fashioned <laughs> <laughs> I admit it <laughs> and now account is www.nowaccount.com and we are on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and I'm sure something else that I don't know about. That's right. And we're tied in with everybody <laughs> so yesterday. here. And uh, if you want more information about whether or not it makes sense for your business, just go to the left-hand side of the Midtown Business Radio show page. There's some links there over to the Now Account uh, page, and you can get some great information there. And it's a real simple process to find out if it makes sense for your business. And they're super people. I've, I've met a number of them, so I would definitely recommend getting involved with them if you're in one of those uh, small business, mm-hmm. uh, in, in a business-to-business company that's having mm-hmm. some slow-paying accounts out there that you can get lined up that way. So if you've not done so already, if you go to the upper left-hand corner of the Midtown Business Radio show page, you'll see the Apple icon there. You can click on that link to the Midtown Business Radio podcast on iTunes and subscribe to us. We're bringing you business leaders like this on a weekly basis. If you're somebody that has to sell to businesses, it'd be uh, a wholly different call if you said, hey, I heard you on the radio. I heard you say thus and such. And as a matter of fact, we can help you with that. Uh, So subscribe to us. Uh, You can also follow the RSS feed over on the right-hand side. And uh, to all the folks here in the studio, Laura and Tracy and Lisa, I really appreciate you making some time to come by the studio and share your stories, talk about what you all do, and uh, enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. For all the folks out there who made us a part of your day today, we really want to say thank you very much. We hope you turn around and share this with your social media contacts. You never know when you're going to put this great information into the hands of somebody you care about and help them out. So we hope you do make an appointment to see us same time, same place next week. We'll see you all then.